go to prison ministry. You watch the like it is almost visible. Grace becomes visible. Everything you do becomes a sacramental in these guys' lives. You witness conversions right there. Welcome, everyone, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am Mike Gomer-Gormley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dave, the exception to every rule, Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> Is that because I haven't been here in three weeks? No, man. It's good It's no, good man. to be back. It's good to be back. It is I, good to have you back. I Yeah, I've missed recording and everything like that. I'm, I'm okay. We're, we're surviving here. You know, we're just uh, keeping on and trying to get through everything that we need to get through, so... Yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of support, a lot of prayers. I've been getting emails and text messages for you and your family, and uh, so yeah. just just hope uh, hope all is getting better, or you get some relief from that cash money that's coming your way and all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Um, it's like it it was really humbling. Uh, so many listeners of this podcast donated to that campaign, and I I honestly thought when my friend reached out and said they would do it. I honestly thought maybe they'd raise ten, fifteen thousand dollars, thinking like, okay, I gotta find other jobs I can do to try and pay for all this. You know, I, I just, we just couldn't believe it. I mean, it's been shocking, and we just are so humbled and thankful for the community. It's funny because you know, community is such a buzzword in the Catholic Church right now. Yeah, and it's, it's, I, I, I clearly do not have an authentic perspective that most people have because we live like in the book of acts. I mean, our community has just <laughs> surrounded us completely and been so just so amazing, you know? So, um, but yeah, thank you, especially for the prayers. Um, please continue to pray. You know, Amber, um, has started her treatments and, um, she's doing kind of like an experimental portion of treatments through immunotherapy. And then she'll do a lower dose of, of chemotherapy, um, meant to, you know, get rid of some of the side effects of chemotherapy and not have such a toll on the body, which is what this doctor, uh, recommends. Um, and we're, we're just really, you know, trying to stay faithful. And, and I, when I say trying, I mean me, she's handling this just <laughs> heroically yeah. and, um, you know, as, as she always has with the crosses that we've faced in our life. And, you know, I know she, I know she'll continue that. So please keep us in your prayers and just thank you so much for really surrounding us with just love and the beautiful cards I've received from people who are total strangers, but they listen to EKSB every week. That's awesome. Um, That's have been awesome. really, really touching. Yeah. So it's, it's just been amazing. So thank you. Thank you very much. I loved when I called you to talk, you know, it had almost been a month since you kind of announced right? what was going on when we actually were able to talk. And I was like, how does it feel having a quarter million dollars in sitting oh, in your bank account? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And do you know what's funny? It was so unnerving because I, you know, well, you know, uh, you know, my fun, weird relationship to money. I hate it. I hate money, you know? And um, you're like, and, it's like the one ring to Gollum, right? You both exactly. Love and hate That's exa exactly. That's exactly. Right. <laughs> and so, and so like people kept saying like, when, when my friend Andy was was raising the goal, I kept getting really uncomfortable. And he would, like, talk to some friends of mine, and they'd be like, we're raising the goal no matter what Dave says. And then I'd be like, Andy, stop raising the goal, you know? But then people would contact him and say, look, tell him to keep raising it because you don't realize how much expense is here. Yeah. And it turns out that this um, 
this experimental immunotherapy, it's not, most of it is not covered by insurance. So it, so I'm just so thankful that he, that he did this because, um, even with the resources of my family and everything like that, like we, we just would never have been able to afford it without this, this campaign. And, um, and even now I'm still taking jobs. I'm still booking talks and stuff because I know that, it's it's gonna go quick, you know. So um, yeah, I just you know, yeah, we're, that's we're really the thing I want to really humble people is uh, Dave is still booking. <laughs> Dave is yeah. still booking. Dude, I have, have to, you know, I have to. Right, I have to. Yeah. So it's uh, I, I mean, I yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping to rearrange some things professionally, but right now I definitely have to keep booking those talks. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, do you have any travel coming up here soon? Are you? I do, but if you just, I don't even know. I don't know what is even tomorrow. So just look <laughs> at my website, thesinnersguide.com, and come out and see. I have a bunch of missions coming up. I have a bunch of uh, the Catholic truth about angels, demons, ghosts, exorcisms, and hauntings coming up, and I'd love to see you there. So yeah, check check it out. How about you, Gomer? You must have a you must have a bunch of Lent stuff coming up. Uh, Lent is uh, March is all the way booked up from beginning to end. I have uh, cool. F- I have four parish missions and wow in uh, March in March uh, every wow. week. I don't every- think I could do it. Yeah, no, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah. And then it's my, and then my last week is saved for my daughter's first Holy Communion. Uh, my okay, nice. my in laws will be flying in all this stuff, and so we'll have a big uh, big celebration for her there. But um, yeah, right now February is dedicated to my godson, my first godson, uh, Drew. He is marrying a girl on in February who he met at uh, Benedictine College, cool. and uh, yeah, he was a football player at Benedictine. No Although, way! I'm like, That's awesome. I'm like, little Drew, how are you? And he's like, a football. Oh, hey. good, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh my That's god, awesome. you're huge. Yeah. So it's hey, gonna be really cool. Yeah. Now, when you do missions, do people like um, like afterwards? Do people like mob you and want like prayer? And do people like ask you to meet with you and stuff like that while you're there? Uh, yeah. Yeah, not so, as much. So, man, so I mean, that's which I love. I mean, I'm happy yeah. that like when I'm there, I want to be with people and trying to serve the Lord. Um, but it's, it's four in a month is exhausting. I mean, that's uh, a lot. Okay, so I'm an extrovert. Yeah. Oh, right. I see. I always forget about that. See, it, it's like, <laughs> it really okay. is. It really makes a difference when I'm with the people. I'm oh, feeling pretty excited. good. Yeah. Okay. And then I have my right. hotel room that doesn't have all my kids there, so I actually get to. Sleep okay, for eight hours it. and all that right. stuff. So okay. even though I rarely ever sleep well in a hotel room. Me neither. Uh, yeah. Never. It stinks. It it's, so I'll much. be dead tired getting off a plane. Put my head on that pillow and I'm like, well, I'm going to be awake for the next six right. hours. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. And then I just pull out my iPhone and play Turn the Page and cry weeping gently into my pillow. <laughs> Turn the page. The cat's in the cradle. <laughs> That's funny. When you coming uh, home, son, I don't know when. <laughs> No, oh, that's me. And Amber sends me like pictures of the kids like doing crazy things. Yeah, I'm just like all torn I'm up, devastated, all like, torn up. What have I done with my life? Yeah. I have to have taken the wrong direction. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, like speaking about this. So, and this will be a bridge to our actual topic for today. I have to be very, very carefree. Carefree. Carefree is a word now. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be very, very careful carefree. at the stuff that I book. March is kind of the exception for me. Because it's Lent, and it's like, that's daddy's right, busy got, season. Right, exactly. But um, the the thing that I want to safeguard now, all of my kids go to gymnastics at 9 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, and I realize whenever I'm in town, I take my kids alone. Mommy gets some alone time for about an hour and a half, whatever it might be. I take my kids out there. 
I get to enjoy them. And it's funny because when I can't go every week, you see their progression and different things like leaping, you know. Right. Um, and when I'm not there, she sends me pictures and videos. And it just rips through me. It rips through oh, me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So my, my thing now is like the, the, the thing that saves me with the Lenten missions is it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Okay. Every week. I do not come out. I can't. I used to do the fly out on Saturday, do the 5 p.m. mass announcement, yeah. and then all the Sunday. I can't do it. And I just can't do that anymore. It's just. It, and honestly, my announcement might pull in five to ten more people. But what's really going to do it is a month of conversations and announcements by the priest. Come to this date. Right. Come to this right. date. Right. So uh, I just when I realize that I'm like, nope, I can't do it because my, I just need to be with my kids. So fly me out. I'll come out Sunday afternoon, and we'll do the thing on Sunday evening. But the fun thing is, uh, I, I I don't know. It's hard for me to leave the kids. So what I did was um, I set a minimum of the amount of money I need to earn that month. So I'm doing all these financial calculations. I need to earn X. When I hit X, I feel okay saying no because I have a okay. big problem saying no. Okay. So then that way I'm making sure that I'm still around for their gymnastics and other things. That yeah, come up. that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. So – with that, uh, this last weekend, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for 14 hours a day, I was in a prison. Uh, we do uh, finally, yeah, finally, <laughs> finally, finally the truth someone got put him in prison. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, I belong to a ministry called the Colby Prison Retreat Ministries at my parish, and we um, are connected with six different prison units here in the state of Texas. I've talked about prison ministry before, but. It is just every time I go through the Colby, my wife just said this to me this morning. She said, you are so exhausted. It takes so much out of you to do it. But when it's done, you are so refreshed and like renewed in your spirit. And I was like, it's true. That's like, awesome. That's yeah. awesome. It's what you want. And so um, gearing up for this retreat. So it's three days. If you've ever heard of, have you heard of Axe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So the Axe and Chirp and, and Curcio right. and all that stuff. So uh, the Colby Prison Ministries, which is, I'm not a part of the organization that runs it, um, they used to be called Axon Prison, and they realized it was so different that they needed to give it a new name. But it's run basically like one of those types of retreats, which okay. means I can only share so much about what goes oh, on. right. Yeah, but, um, right. And, and we do this thing called the River Rule and the Pond Rule, which is basically what happens on the retreat stays on the retreat. So okay. I got permission from some of the guys in past retreats to share some of their, their stories, but... Um, just for the purposes here, but um, I can't go into too many details. But when I went on my first retreat, I was terrified. I am a white suburban homeschooler. <laughs> yeah. That is my life. I study theology. Right. I know nothing of this world. Um, and I was terrified. And I remember telling the guy, I said, Jerry, you know, I, I got to bail. I'm, yeah. I'm scared, man. I'm legit scared. And he was like, <laughs> oh, don't worry about it, brother. And he got up and laughed. He just like slapped you? Yeah, well, no, he got up and left and awesome. then went right to the prison. I didn't know that. Come, came back to see me the next day and he goes, hey, Gomer, yeah, I went to the prison yesterday. And I was like, oh, you did? And he goes, yeah. And I told them all how scared you were of them. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, 100%. And I'm like, no, Jerry, no, <laughs> know? you did not. They're not supposed to see fear on your face I know. the first day. All I'm imagining is every Hollywood movie I know about exactly. prisons. Right. And then so I look at him and I said, Jerry, no, 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 no. Please tell me you didn't. He goes, no, no, no. This is what they said. You go back and tell Gomer. And I was like, you told them my name? There's there's like 50 of us coming. It could have been, you know, could have been that tall old dude over in the corner. Right. right. And he was like, listen. He goes, you go back and tell your buddy Gomer that we're a bunch of murderers, gangbangers, and drug dealers. And we need the mercy of Jesus Christ just as much as anyone at his parish. And I was Whoa. like. Whoa. 
Okay, I, I didn't expect that. Okay. This, this is awesome. Yeah, so it, it, it stuffed the anxiety down enough that I yeah. didn't think about it. So that was on a Tuesday. The retreat's on a Thursday. I have to leave my house about 4.30 in the morning. And I show up, and they're like, gather around, brothers, gather around, brothers. And they're passing out these deliverance prayers. And I'm like, really? huh, this is pretty intense. And I go, what, what, yeah. what's this for? And they go, well, the Satanist group knows that we're here, and they're like oh. cursing us. And I'm like, oh, yeah. oh I'm going to not tell that to my wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we all pray this. And then they go through all these levels of security, right? And you yeah. get through, and there's the last set of double gates. And as you're entering the last set of gates, there's a big red sign that I'm staring at and trying to understand at 6 o'clock in the morning. And the sign says, warning, no hostages will be permitted past this point. And I'm just staring at that sign. I'm yeah, like, like, why what? would yeah. someone take a hostage and bring him into the prison? Into the prison. And then I realize, oh, it's a warning to the volunteers that if there's a riot, and they, oh, You're I don't know, getting, capture exactly. a chubby little homeschooler named Gomer <laughs> that I will not be exchanged for 12 pizzas and a helicopter. Right. I'm right. done. <laughs> this, is, this is, that is nuts. Yes, yes. And so I'm going through that going, well, that's another thing I'm not going to tell my wife. But yeah. the amazing thing was, so we're on the retreat, and I'm at a maximum security Texas prison, right? Okay. That's the one that I go to. I have dedicated my, all my prison ministry. We do six at my parish alone. I just focus on this one unit. Um, which is technically in the Tyler Diocese, but they gave us permission to go there. And uh, so uh, we go out there, and within an hour and a half, I turn around and I look out, and the thing that shocked me the most was how mundane it was. There were guys okay. oversharing. There were guys dominating the conversation at the little yeah. tables. There was guys checked out, guys listening, guys arguing, you know, doing all the things that happens at every retreat I've ever been ever. on ever. Sure. You know, sure. and I was like, huh, turns out they're people. Right. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and it was it was an incredible experience because and this is what I tell people about prison ministry. I, I know a lot of youth ministers that are just exhausted from their from their youth ministry. They're exhausted from not seeing the fruit of their labors, you know, like that can be exhausting. Oh, my gosh. Totally. Go to prison ministry like you watch the like it is almost visible. Grace becomes visible in a way like every. Everything you do becomes a sacramental in these guys' lives. And you witness conversions right there. I mean, it's 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 shocking in, in certain ways. And you're just like, wait, what? Like you'll have like our, our you know, our retreats pull in the prison system in Texas is about a third black, a third white, and a third uh Latino Hispanic. with a rounding error for Asians, right? So that's like that's <laughs> I use that joke in front of the inmates and they think that's the funniest thing I've ever said. Um, um, the, the, so the men that I work with are violent offenders, right? They're in prison and they and they need they need to be, right? Right. Many of them are in prison, you know, and they would say they're like, yeah, I deserve to be here. But okay. the whole culture within prison is built around negativity. And cynicism yeah. and violence and right. you know respect above all things and all that stuff. So what we try to do is we come in as outsiders and we like to say the phrase we just come in and love on them. Kind of sounds awkward. Number one in prison, but number two, it is sounds so cliche. But that's literally what you do. These huh. men are reduced to numbers. You know, they're reduced. Essentially, they're just called inmates. Huh. Right. So when a guard is uh, a corrections officer yeah. is yelling, right, they can't learn all the names and everything. Right. right. And now the guys that are faith based, right, they obviously have relationships with these guards and they know them and all this stuff. But 
still it's it's this atmosphere that's there and my belief so we've done at the end of that retreat that we did this weekend we will have finished 20 percent of the prison population in this one unit has gone through a colby that that's incredible yeah i mean you can't get 20 percent of a parish to go through that <laughs> i know <laughs> it's so wow, hard that's inc- that's incredible yeah and so our goal you know, we keep doing them every six months. And then on top of that, in between the Colby retreats, we do these things called glorify where I preach and we have an outside band doing praise and worship and fun music. And we just invite like we can the retreats are like for 66, 67 people. But the like we just fill the chapel with anyone who can come for the glorify okay. and, we, and glorify is just a thing that we do as a parish. And the whole goal is to earn legitimacy in the eyes of Protestants. Because okay. Protestantism dominates Texas prisons, um, okay. hardcore fundamentalists, I would even say, to a certain point. And okay. so the problem is trying for Catholics to get access to these men's hearts and minds and to get them to come on retreat just so they know that we're Christian. So what I do is it's a gospel-based sermon, and I try to you know build the bridges is what okay. I'm doing. So I want to show them that we're Christian okay. kind of thing. And, uh, right, right. and it's awesome because that's the feedback that we get. I had no idea y'all were Christian. And so that we're oh. just trying to build this, and we do those in between strategically. We try to do them in between sure, right. the Colby things, so that when it comes out and they can sign up for it, they think like, "Yeah, maybe They'll I'll come." Do this. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, that's genius. That's genius. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, that's that's awesome, and I I totally you know. I know. I I feel like people get uncomfortable when I say this, but you're just like expressing this point I've been saying for a long time, and that is. The further away someone is from God, I think the almost the easier it is to evangelize. I really do feel that way. That like church ladies are harder than prisoners. I really believe that because the truth is, is even if they don't admit it, people who are far away from God, they know they're far away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They feel that longing. And that's why, like, when I was doing bar ministry or, you know, the closest thing I ever did to prison ministry was like a um a group of people who had their reformed gang members, they had left their gang and they would meet every week. And it was, it was awful. It was just a terrible, terrible group of people. I mean, just a terrible situation for these people to be in. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was like, they knew how far they were away from God. They really did. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. And so when you're in prison though, you're meeting right. People whose belief systems are shaped by violence. So what I mean by that okay. is principally like, the funny thing is you get a bunch of conservative suburban Republican men who are pro okay. death penalty going into that thing and they are anti death penalty coming out of that retreat weekend. Is is that right? Because that is hear, interesting. Right, because you hear enough stories yeah. that you realize like these people were trapped from day one. And what I mean by that is right, low sure. income. Sure, they were born into violence, born into yeah. extreme violence. Their fathers right. or father figures, almost uh, uh, like not almost all of them, many of them were sexually abused by their own dads. Right, right, and then by mom's boyfriends or whatever it might be. Um, oftentimes, you find like these moms, if they're single moms, cannot control the boys, so they give them drugs early on. Or you find that even if they had a good family, what happens is the um, Drugs gets into their life in middle school or high school. Typically, you'll have kids that were getting beat up when they're seven, eight, nine years old every day. So they join a gang in order to not get their you know face smashed in on their way to school. Who wouldn't do that? Like who, of course, who, like of course, ev- yeah. But 
a t- you get protection. You get if you don't have a father, you now have a bunch of brothers. Right. But it comes at the price of extreme violence and and sin. Cri- yeah, criminal life. Yeah. And but they're they're willing to make that trade because for once they belong. And I remember Francis Chan, who's a evangelical pastor, saying he had a gang member convert, and the gang member after a while left. He was his number one volunteer, and then he left. And he's like, "Why'd you leave? You know what's going on?" He said, "Well, I thought joining Christianity was like joining a gang, where like it's now your life." He said, "I didn't realize yeah. it was just a thing you do on Sunday." Oh, and that's right, devastating. It, right, that is. But when I'm with gang members who are seeing this stuff unfold. Like, I remember my first Colby, this guy stood up and he defended the gang life. Because all these guys are like, you know, reformed gang members and they, what you call okay. sliding out. They were affiliated and they slide out of their gang without getting beat up because of conversion. So they'll let you, you know, if you want to go follow yeah. Jesus, that's fine. But right. if you don't follow Jesus in the way we think you should follow Jesus, we're going to beat trouble. you to death. Right. right. I mean, they and they do that. They beat men to death right. for smoking a cigarette because right. Christians don't smoke cigarettes, right? And you're right. like, okay. Um but the because they think they're trying to get out of the gang without, you know, and, and not respect the gang by doing this. Right. They're faking, of it. course. So their right. lives are literally on the line to convert, right? Yeah. And they it's do amazing. this stuff, and so this one guy stood up and he's like, "Nah, y'all, like my gang is my life, my gang, like I'm, I'm affiliated, blah 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 blah." And he goes through talking about all this stuff. Then the next Colby, he had to leave in the middle of it because of something with his block or whatever. He ends up coming to the next Colby, and he's like, "Y'all, this is my last month here. I'm getting out." I'm going to blah, blah, blah for their program. And the guys started clapping. And I'm like, what is that? And they said, oh, it's a state-run program where they disaffiliate with their gang. So they have to get the gang tattoos removed from their body. They, yeah. Um, yeah. they go That's through. That's like the group I was working with. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And, but it's a, it's a prison unit set up to de-gangify the gangs, right? That, it's so important. Yeah. And so I walked up to him and I said, I remember you here last time. And he's like, oh, you do? And I go... And I remember you defending the gangs. Like, what changed? And he said to me, you know, one of the things that someone said last time that really bothered me was he gave his whole life for the gang. He did a drive-by. Now he's doing two life sentences. He'll never see his family. He'll never be. He missed his father's burial. Oh you know, all gosh. this stuff, right? It's and so then he odd. says, um, and my gang, my brothers, where are they? Not one of them has called me. Not one of them has written to me, and not one of them puts money in my commissary account. He's like, I, they have completely abandoned me after I gave my life for them. And he said, now I will never see the light of day because of what I did for them. Wow. And he started thinking, he goes, yeah, like I got one guy, but he's my cousin who contacts me, and that's it. The rest is just my family. And you know what happens is you have someone so embarrassed or disappointed or angry that in the family that they cut off communication. Yeah. And it's sure. like, well, what do you, how do you get that communication back? You just you kind of can't. You can write letters, but just hope that they read them and you just can't do anything other than that. So it's a really heartbreaking situation, but he realized that. And so he had to step back. But I want to share a couple stories of conversion. Can I do that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. I want to hear. Now, this is the fascinating thing about these retreats. So the base on Acts, so they don't have an explicit proclamation of the charisma. Right, they don't do that. They they it's a series of testimonies that relate to different things. So I decide <laughs> during my Q and A's, we have these we have these Q and A's going through. Every question I tied back to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So imagine a room filled with sixty six inmates who are on the retreat, thirty inmates who are facilitating the retreat, and then thirty outside guys. And I'm sitting up there, and they say, "Why do you worship Mary?" 
As, oh, we don't worship Mary. Everything we believe about Mary safeguards what we believe about Jesus Christ, that he is the eternal son of God. Mary's just a human person. Though she might be the greatest of all saints, she's just a human person. Jesus Christ. And then I go and I preach who Christ is. And then I go blah, 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 start talking. And then I tie it back to the cross and the resurrection. I have a talk on the sacraments, right? And it's my favorite thing to talk about in the inmates with the inmates because their hardcore Baptist, Southern Baptist, anti-sacramental worldview doesn't allow them to see baptism as something that's salvific. It's just an outward expression of something salvific, which is right. namely making an act of faith and being saved. And so well, I try to show them that baptism actually brings about the union. So I go through, what, like, um, my favorite way to do it is actually taught by Frank Sheed in his Catholic Evidence Guild training outline. I love that. Yeah, yeah love he that. says, when you're arguing with a Protestant over the sacraments, start with, don't try to defend all seven. Start with the fact that God's the creator, creation is good, and God manifests his power through created things. And he said, just okay. start with that approach. So I start going through creation. It is good, it is good, it is good. Behold, it is very good. You know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, and they're all clapping. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that throws me off. Um, <laughs> and then we keep going. And the idea is I talk about Aaron's rod. And I said, isn't that funny? Aaron's rod. Why is that a section within a chapter in the book of Exodus? Right? God commanded Aaron, right? Take that shepherd's staff. Take that rod. You're going to use it. Why did God need to use this rod, the staff of Aaron, to show Aaron's authority? Because it was a visible sign that manifested or communicated God's invisible power. So right. when they struck the Nile, when they stretched it out right. over right. Um, the Red right. Sea, like all of these things are done through this physical object right here. You know, and I said, uh, Amalek, the battle with Amalek, right, where Moses has his hands raised, they win, his hands droop because they're tired, they lose. And I said, real people were dying in a battle, right, when his hands got below a certain angle. Like, why is that, you know, people say Catholics are so legalistic. And I said, why right. does that matter? I said, because it's the outward sign, and when the power, when the, what the outward sign means is lost, then, the, then God refuses to manifest his divine power because the outward sign is tied to the expression of the power. And then right. so so then they shove sit him down on a rock and prop up his hands and went cuz the whole thing is you have to be relying on me I'm praying. So then you go to uh Samson. I tell the story of Samson. Samson was a terrible yeah. man. People don't realize. Oh yeah. He's oh, no yeah. saint at all. Oh He's yeah, I know. Visiting Philistine brothels like two or three times explicitly in the story. Like all this shenanigans, right? Sleeping right. with a Philistine woman Delilah and then he what happens? He gets his hair cut off. He loses his strength. So the certain inch Length of his hair dictates whether or not the spirit of the Lord is going to rush upon him, and he right. has super strength. And then the hair grows back, and he pushes down the temple, right, and 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 yeah. brings victory to Israel, right. So I'm like, why does that matter? Because the outward sign of the Nazarite vow of abstaining from alcohol and not cutting your hair, when that outward sign is destroyed, right, the whole point of it is it no longer the divine power is no longer saying something, right. The symbol is what God's trying to get across to us. Right. So when you have an outward sign, water pouring over us, it's not the removal of outward dirt, as St. Peter says, but an appeal to God for a clean conscience, right? It is the actual removal of sin, which saves you now. And they're all like, holy moly, right? And I go, that's why right. the last words of Jesus to his apostles is, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. And then the first thing that they do with the first sermon with Peter in uh, at, at Pentecost is what is the, we're cut to the heart after the first kerygma is preached. We're cut to the heart. What must we do? 
what must you do? Repent and be, and all the be men go, baptized. baptized. <laughs> and then I <laughs> just awesome. roll right into Romans 5, where he talks about the death and resurrection of the second Adam, and the, contrast that with the failure of the first Adam. It goes right into Romans 6. Therefore, you have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death. And they're just like, wow. So baptism is what saves us, right? And it's this huge thing, right? What Christ accomplished, they all understand. Yeah, that Jesus did it for me. It's like, but how do I get that goodness in me? That's right. the sacraments. And when they see that, all the ang- all the anger turns, and it's just curiosity from that point on. Huh. They're just like, huh. That's yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. The, uh, the, I, I think it's like really, I don't know, it's, it's just like such a different culture than I expect from my, from suburbia. Yeah. Like the fact that they're not only in prison, but that they're touchy about apologetics is interesting. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's nice because that's a toehold for you. It's a foothold that you can grab onto, you know, that you can start talking to them with that. That's, it's incredible. Yeah. And, and the big thing that I've spent so much time in Luther and Calvin and their representatives today Right, like I have a, I have an ability to speak to them and directly address their concerns. Sure, sure. You know? and, and who, who do, who do they listen to today? Who are they looking to? Uh, Falwell or someone like that? No, no, like, no, no. Like John MacArthur is a really big, guy, okay, you know, independent okay. preacher and stuff like that. But okay, they do a lot of reading. They got a lot of time to do a lot of reading. Okay, yeah. Oh, right. I didn't even. I guess. I guess so. They do a lot of reading and the Bible studies. They have all different groups that do Bible studies. So I was walking out and there was a new Romans Bible study, and it's like <laughs> all the Jews are condemned by the law. All the Gentiles oh my are gosh. condemned by their sin. Only Christ gives us the way. Study the yeah. Roman road, and I was like, wow. Okay, here we go. Buckle right. up. Right. 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 Oh, that that's crazy. Yeah. Can you imagine what if what if like the first time when you said to that guy that you were afraid and you didn't want to go. What if his advice to you was like, look, on the first day, just find the scariest guy there and beat him up. So the funny thing was, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be crazy if he said that? The first thought in my head (laughs) was I'm going to have to take a folding chair to the back of some guy's head (laughs) just to reassert that I shall not be taken advantage of. Oh, you think you crazy? I'm crazy. As an you crazy? I'm crazy. That's that's, that's pre-evangelization, pre-evangelization, right there. Yeah, that's not that's, apologetics, right? <laughs> I ain't defending nothing. I'm going on the offensive, man. Right. Well, that, I, I, it's like you know, it's just like it's yeah. the closest thing, I guess, to foreign missions that we have in America. And I say that about like vagabond missions all the time that they're you know doing inner city youth ministry. Yeah. It's like the closest thing to foreign missions that we have. That and missions and, on reservations. Right, yeah. right, and yeah, exactly, and it's just like, um, it's it's awesome because in foreign missions you do get to see, you just see so much of a response, yeah. you know, so yeah. much of a response. It's a forced poverty for one thing, and yeah. that helps. Yeah, any yeah. kind of forced poverty helps. You know, and I I've been praying about like what what do I do with this, and so I'm starting this prison curriculum that again, GoFundMe has been big in both of our lives lately. Yeah. Um, right. A bunch of our listeners donated that. Thank you all very much. We already talked about that in the past. But I'm going to create this curriculum for inmates because you just see like there's a lack of apologetics. And I realized that uh, one of the big things that we're trying to get across is this notion that like there are biblical foundations for Catholicism, but there's a history that immediately comes after the apostles where a lot of this stuff is talked about in the age of the church fathers, where this is how they interpreted scripture and oh, would you know it, that's how we do today. So I'm like going through all this stuff and I'm sending out these emails and a guy reached out to me. He was a inmate of 25 years. Whoa. Okay. Um, 
he he said, I didn't do the crime that I went to jail for, but I did enough that I, you know, kind of squared it. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> kind of leveled out. Uh, he said, but I converted to Catholicism in prison, and then I converted over like 110 guys. I'm the godfather to like 80, 90 people. And so he was writing was me amazing. tips. Yeah. Oh, this guy, and this guy's intense. And so I said, well, you know, what would you recommend? He said, this is the number one thing you have to learn when you go into prison. You have to say to yourself, am I willing to die for this man's soul? He said, if you can accept that truth at the core of your being, I'm willing to die for this man's soul, then you will actually They'll be successful it. in prison yeah. ministry. Yeah. And, and, I, and they'll feel it too. Yeah. They'll feel that too. Yeah. yeah. And so when I, this time around, right, it's so weary to do these things. I drive an hour up, got to be there at 6 a.m. It's cold. It's rainy. You know, it's all the stuff that tells your flesh, you don't really want to do this. Be a millennial right. text. I got food poisoning last night and then just don't show right. up. Right. And I realized this, like every man in their life has broken a promise to them. Yeah. That, that, right. that, that right. prison in, in a lot of ways whether it's prison, the system, or just their inmates' lives, they have a culture of broken promises. And I want to be able to not do that for them. Sure, sure. And That's... so, yeah, I mean, so you double down on your commitment. And then I started thinking, how, do, how does this get manifested in my daily life at the church? And I realized it's easy for me to teach and I kind of use that as a crutch so that I don't have to work individually with people. And I don't have oh, to get involved in right. the messiness of their lives. Sure, and just that sure. phrase, like, am I willing to die for this soul? And it's right. like, but I haven't even learned his name yet. you know. And you're yeah. like, oh, right. like I feel so awful. So that is how I'm pulling things out from the prison ministry side into the practice of evangelization. Um, right, that's, that's amazing. And, and actually, everybody... I mean, keeping promises is pre-evangelization. Oh, 100%. It's trust building. Yeah. So, and and it's not just it's not just prisoners, but like I mean, teenagers, youth ministers. I mean that that's a big deal for youth today. It's just broken promises. You know, they don't trust any of us. Yeah, I mean, imagine uh, if a youth minister said, "I'm going to come to your piano recital," and then didn't show up. Exactly. Right. That's a broken right. promise. Promise. It is. Yeah. Right. My kid, and it I is. didn't realize how much kids keep track of that stuff. My son will right. say to me, but you said we, you know, I'll say like, oh, right. we'll do that later. Well, it's right. later. You said we would do it. And I'm like, well, I was just saying that to get rid of you. <laughs> what are you going to be a lawyer? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I fired a youth minister one time for not knowing a kid's name after six months. Oh, wow. And there, I mean, there were only there were only 24 kids in the in the group, really, like on average. Mm -hmm. And this girl was like having a serious crisis. And he came up to talk to me about her. And I knew her name. I even knew her name and you know, I hate teenagers. So it's like, um, <laughs> I said, he kept referring to her as, as the blonde girl. And I finally, I just said like, I, I don't understand. Do you know her name? And he was like, ah, it's like something, it's like Jenny or something like that. And I was like, we need to talk on Monday. <laughs> I was like, father will be here and we're going to talk. And I finally just, it was, it, it was more than just that, but yeah. that was like the final straw yeah. because I was like, if you don't know their names then it's over. Yeah. And that's the big thing with your table. I was a table facilitator. You learn all of their names and some of them right. have prison names that they'll share with you. Um, but prison you, names. Yeah. What is that? What's a prison name? Like a nickname. Like my prison oh, okay. name, nickname is the hangover. Cause I look like Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> Yes, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. The Jewish it could, group, go, it could go bad. I know it could oh, go yeah. bad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I like uh, <laughs> one of our one of our volunteers is uh, they call him. I think they call him Star Trek. 
Because he looks like okay. Jean-Luc Picard because he's bald <laughs> and he's old. <laughs> but yeah, so doing prison ministry, let me, let me bring it back to this. Um, yeah. Prison ministry is a big step out, right? It's not a normal thing for a normal person. But I want to talk about how it manifests God's divine love in a world that is so cold, right? Atheists don't go to prisons. Prisons are terrible places. Atheists don't go to prisons to do ministry to other atheists. Uh, there might there might yeah. be tons of atheists in prison, and there were there were some at my table, but there are no atheist ministers going in there. Right. And so when I sit down with someone who is an atheist or who or who doesn't believe in their faith, I just wait to tell them about prison ministry. Right. I, I can't. Like I'm so excited because it's like the religious people are the only ones that go in there. Why is that? When the rest of our culture has forgotten about these people, we haven't. And they the inmates say that they say. You know, like one of the things that we do is right when they walk in for the first time, imagine how awkward this is. All these all these middle-aged white men form a tunnel and they walk through and they hug every one of us. Oh my god. And we, we announce their name and they hug every one of us, right? And it's that's funny. The, that's like that's the worst thing I've ever heard yes, in my life. Yes, it would so be my I do worst the nightmare. Handshake, pull in and do the one arm <laughs> back slap bro hug. I do that. At least I try to. <laughs> but but some of the guys like we I was warned in my training in prison like you're gonna want to hug these guys but in prison physical contact means different things and it might be perceived as threatening so you need to be very careful with this and then you have these guys who give rough hugs like get in here I love you brother oh and I'm like gosh. you're gonna get shanked so quickly <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, that's what you think all the time, right? But, it is. It's scary. But the coolest thing is, so we sit down, and my first Colby retreat was Colby 2 at the Ferguson unit. This guy said, um, you know, we were talking and just kind of like wrapping up everything, and he said, you know where I realized this retreat was going to be different for me? And I said, where's that? And he said, when they called out my name over the microphone, everyone cheered, and then I went through and hugged all you know 5,000 of you guys. He said, I felt like a human being again. Because I'm not known by my name. I'm either known by my prison name by the fellow inmates or I'm inmate or a number. He's like, you called me by my name. My first and last name and people cheer. Isn't that biblical? Isn't that so biblical? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Called you by name. Yeah. That's awesome. So last last thing I want to talk about prison. I could literally tell stories all day and I can't, which is why it's so frustrating. But um, so yeah, we do the table facilitating. We feed them really good food. Like cornbread okay. that uh, honestly is my favorite cornbread I've ever eaten in my life. We feed them food and they like, some of the guys are just there. They'll be honest. They'll be like, I'm just here for the food. The food. And we're like, okay, great. And that's the thing is part of that pre-evangelization is we are creating spaces for them to just feel like a human, human. being. Yeah. Sure. And sure. That, that does enough, right? They'll be like, oh, the Colby, I, I didn't really get anything out of the retreat, but you know, those are good guys. Those are good guys. And right. then all of a sudden. If you're a Catholic or you're involved in the Colby ministry, you now have a lot more breathing room than, oh, those are pagans, right? Right. And so um, you, you try to do all of these things, which are pre-evangelization. But I was thinking about that comment you made to that nun. It's bothering me so much. I even brought up in the last episode of Catching Foxes where you're like, sister, it's time to become martyrs. You've been doing pre-evangelization for 20 years. Right? Yeah. And I started thinking about that. And it's like, well, if, am I willing to do what that guy said to lay down my life for this one soul? And you start to think about this and you're like, you know, I, I really, I know that God's going to work here, but I don't know how it's going to look. And, right. and I, I, I'm going to say this as in respectful as I can of this guy, but I watched someone misspeak in mid sentence and then have an immediate conversion to Jesus Christ 
and he was a hardcore pagan. He said, you know, yeah, I heard that still small voice and it was God. And he just stops and goes, it was God. And you could see like the wheels were spinning and he, he was, his whole life had been violence, control, pleasure, and paganism. And he just, and then he stood up and he has his prison nickname, which actually predated him going to prison. And it's a pretty, it's, it's kind of a horrific name, like an intimidating name. And he stood up and he said, I've been going by this name for so long. That's not my name. My name is, and he said his name and we all stood up and all, all the inmates, all of us stood up applauding and we were saying his name over and over again. That's, a, that's beautiful. Yeah. And he's that, like, that is he's like, Christ is real. Jesus Christ is real. This stuff is, this stuff is real. Like you watched a person have a conversion right? and it just right. shakes you to your core and you end up thinking like, why wouldn't I want to be a part of this? All right. the weariness beforehand gets melted away in a single sentence by these guys. And you're like, I will spend the rest of my life doing this. It's That's just awesome. Amazing. It's just amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I applaud. I applaud your efforts. I really do. <laughs> well, that's it's why awesome. I came on the show, so that you would applaud me and uh, affirm yeah, I me. I figured. I figured. <laughs> you know me too well. <laughs> well. One day one day, you'll just say my normal name and not my EKSB name. <laughs> yeah, you are nothing but a middle nickname <laughs> to me. <laughs> All right. When we come back, we're going to have your five practical takeaways. And uh, listen to this great message from our friends at Ascension Press. If you're looking for stuff to do at your parish, if you're looking to maybe host a small group, There's awesome resources at ascensionpress.com. And as always, we love to hear from you at EKSB at ascensionpress.com. My name is Father Mark Toops, author of The Way of the Cross, praying the Psalms with Jesus. Jesus as an observant Jewish man, would have gone through his days with the Psalms constantly on his lips. And in these new reflections on this ancient tradition, I want to invite you to come even closer to our Lord, to meditate on his heart, and to pray as he would have prayed in the moments of his passion. It will fundamentally change the way you experience the Stations of the Cross. Don't just pray about Jesus, pray with him on the journey to Calvary. To order the way of the cross, praying the Psalms with Jesus, visit ascensionpress.com. Welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow. I love listening to the last song on Kanye's new album where he just goes, Every Knee Shall Bow. Have you listened to that yet, Dave? No, Kanye's I haven't. I, I want to, though. But oh, it's so, a good workout music. A couple songs. Some of the songs I doubt are really it. stupid. I doubt that. Go oh, no. There's a couple good ones, man. There's a couple good ones. I, I don't think you realize the intensity with which I bring to a workout. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So here we go with our take fives. Okay. So number one, connect with a corrections ministry in your diocese so you don't have to reinvent the wheel or cause any missteps that could get you in trouble. This is for all those who have written to me ever, uh, whenever I share a little bit of this prison stuff, someone always says, how can I get started? So I, my number one advice is already start with an existing ministry. Maybe yeah. you go in a different direction afterwards, but I'm going to tell you, there are so many legal caveats. You don't want to go to jail trying to do good prison ministry. And let me <laughs> tell you, people do all the time. 
Wow. So yeah, you have to be like I can't do any ministry to corrections officers at all. I you know we just say you know just are polite to them. If I do any ministry to them, it's a conflict of interest, and it could be like I'm trying to connect information between inmate and officer. Oh. So there's all these like little things like that that we wouldn't think about. But right, I would never know. Right, 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 right. So connect with an already existing corrections ministry, and the diocese is an excellent resource for you there. Number two, if you have a relative or an acquaintance that's in prison or, you know, uh, uh, many of us do. I mean, probably most of us have some kind of connection to somebody who's in prison. Put money in their commissary account. Call them, write to them, make them feel human, right? Reach out to these people. It's one of the works of mercy. Uh, This is a, a beautiful thing to do to let them know that there are still people who just care about them and remember, you know, them by their name. Absolutely. Number three, donate Bibles and catechisms and apologetics books to your local unit, especially in Spanish. If you live in the South like I do, um, there is almost an entire lack of Spanish resources for Catholics. Um, And so, yeah, one of the things that I do is I have our Spanish faith formation group buy a Spanish catechism and then write from the family of, and they write their name, uh, know that you're in our prayers. And as a family, they pray for the the whoever gets the catechism like once a month. So um, that's awesome. Yeah, donate those types of, especially apologetics. If you're going to go buy a book that's not a Bible or catechism, nice. Number four, uh, pray a rosary this week for the incarcerated, for all the corrections officers, for the people who are involved in anything to do with prisons. Just pray a rosary for their conversion. It's a it's a an easy and beautiful thing. It's a beautiful way to accomplish that work of mercy from from your home if you can't make it out to the prison. Yeah, and now this is one I'm going to walk on eggshells here, right? Our wonderful producer, Marisa, always tells us, we want every niche shall bow to be independent. Don't think, just because we're producing it, don't think you got to, you know, put all of our stuff out there. But I really do believe this. If you're going to go into active prison ministry, especially in a place where fundamentalism and evangelicalism uh, is super, super strong and anti-Catholic, I would encourage you, and this is real, I'm, I'm being totally honest here, you personally have to be reading the book of Romans and Galatians very often, but get Ascension Press's Bible study on Romans. It is awesome. gold. It is gold. It is worth your time to comprehend it, to understand it, and then donate it to the prison. So cool. Ascension Press is Romans Bible study. It's comprehensive. It's good. It talks about salvation and, and all the historical stuff, but you need to have that foundation. You better get Romans written in your soul. Just get a tattoo of the whole book of Romans uh, on, on your body. Uh, <laughs> and then you'll be perfect for prison. Already done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's our take fives, guys. Please email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. We have a handful of emails that we're going to be going through as this show goes forward, giving Dave some breathing room so he can do all the things he needs to do for his family. Um, we're going to set up a handful of interviews. If Dave can make it, uh, Dave, I guess... We'll let you come on. Uh, but if you know, <laughs> we're, we're going to keep going with this. Um, the show plowing forward in this 2020. I got a quick question for you, Dave. Yep. Are you a little upset that Barbara Walters wasn't there when they did the New Year's Eve ball drop? I, I literally did not. I have, I don't think I've ever watched the ball drop. Well, but, I I just wanted but if Barbara you're upset, Walters. Then I'll be upset. I just wanted them to film Barbara Walters right after the ball dropped and her look at the camera and say, this is 2020. Right, you remember that show, Twenty Twenty? You're so you're you you're literally the worst. At goodbye, everybody. God uh, bless you all, and uh, we'll, we'll see you next week. Adios. <laughs>